0: Well, we're, we're continuing on, for those that are new and visiting, in what is the third message, third message in our series that we've been doing on John. Uh, first week, we saw the word became flesh, and that was a, a beautiful message. They've unpacked it for us about how this word became the God-man who dwelt amongst us. The second week, we were looking at John the Baptist, and that, just that beautiful line that's been with me all week, not me, him. Him. Um, but now we move to the, to the third message in this series where, where we finally actually get to hear Jesus speak. And really my hope and desire for this message today is uh, that we might be able to sort of peel back and sort of get a, a bit of a closer look at this, this Jesus, this God, man, this word become flesh and really see who he is. Um, I've entitled this message for, for those that make notes, called to follow the savior who sees. Um, If you've got your Bibles open, we'll be reading from John chapter 1, 35 to 51. John 1, 35 to 51. Um, I'm going to read and then we'll pray. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they turned and the, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come. And you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two disciples who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We've found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, look, we have found the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything Good, come out of Nazareth. Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your word. What a precious thing it is, Lord, that you would give us, wicked people, your words and your words of life. Lord, we pray as we come to this text of John and try and get a glimpse of this Jesus, your son, the God-man that you would, by your spirit, Open our hearts and our minds, Lord. Open our hearts and minds to see a mighty Savior who sees us and calls us. And We pray this in his name. Amen. I was, I was wondering this week, and I was, I was thinking about how to begin this message, and I was wondering, cast your mind back. Cast your mind back with me um, to your call. If you're sitting with us and you're a believer, to your call to the to the time when you first put your trust in Christ. Uh, maybe it was as a child. Maybe and oh, this is so excites me, like Ange, it's just last week. Um, whatever your story is, cast your mind back to the first time you put your trust in Christ. I was thinking about my story this week and and uh, remembering what happened. I, I grew up actually in a Christian family, um, as I've shared before down in down in Wollongong in Dapto actually, in a in a small church, and that was such a blessing, you know, reflecting back to grow up in a Christian family, but I didn't always follow Jesus for myself. I didn't always have my trust in him and and I can remember being at school. We went to Dapto Public School and then Wollongong High School. And I can remember being at school and just being ashamed. Really being ashamed of my faith. Not wanting people to know. I, I, I really wanted to be the cool kid at school and um yeah, I really struggled with both fitting in and being the cool kid. <laughs> uh, my my first nickname, I don't know why I'm telling you this, my first nickname at school was Square. And uh, I, I, I actually rejoiced when uh, I got a new nickname, but anyway. Um, just desperately wanting to fit in and wanting people to like me and think well of me. And I started hanging out with the cool group at school and started to get a bit more involved in some parties where there was things going on like drugs and drinking and and I can remember distinctly sitting in class at school and I'm with a bunch of guys and we're going along with I'm going along with this joke and we're teasing this girl sitting down the front I can remember the teacher in the, in, in the class was a designer of technology, his name was Mr. Coluccio, this middle-aged Italian man with a big moustache and, and socks pulled up to his knees and he's standing, writing on the, on the board and distracted and we're going along with this joke, teasing this girl and I don't remember even what the details of the joke was. It was probably something like, ah, ha, ha you're a Christian. Um, teasing her for being a Christian. And that day she, she didn't just sit there and take it like normal. She turned around and she looked at the group that was standing at or I was sitting in and she pointed. And even though there's all these other guys with me, she pointed and it felt like she was just pointing at me like I'm the only guy in the room and she said, "Don't you laugh." I believe in that. And in that moment, I was just cut to the heart. And I can remember just thinking, "Wow." I, I'm sitting in a class teasing someone for being a Christian. I actually, you know, outside of this place, call myself a Christian. I need to make a decision about who I'm going to follow. I can't just go keep on living with these, these two separate lives. In one place, I'm ashamed. another place, I say I'm a Christian. You know, what's going on? I need to make a decision for myself to follow Jesus. And, and that was a very important moment in, in my walk with the Lord. But regardless of what your story is, there's one thing that's common in all our stories, isn't there? and that is that all of us that have our faith in Christ have had a point in which God has called us specifically to follow Him. God has worked in our hearts to bring us to a point of faith to trust in His Son, Jesus. And really, as we look at this passage um, and as we consider our our, our own individual callings, I, I, I really want us to, to think back, and this is where I really want to go with this message, to think back at... To the, to, the, to, to the grace, our past story, to our present story and the way in which God is working in our lives currently, to the future. And really where I want to take us as we look at Jesus' call of his disciples is to see this, that past, present, future, it's all of grace. So for those that take notes, again, I'm working in three different sections, or I'm going to try and keep this story into three different sections. The first one will be the caller. The second one will be the called. And the third and final section will be the calling. Well, let's begin, the caller. Who's the greatest person you've ever met? I mean, really, the greatest person that you've ever had the privilege of Of meeting, again, as growing up in Dapto, you know, I didn't haven't had the privilege of meeting too many, at least in this world, great, (laughs) great people. But the best I've got, the best I've got, I thought I'd share with you a little opportunity for me to boast. Uh, The best I've got is I remember in high school somehow I think it was the teachers had sympathy on me. I was the school captain at school, and uh, and. There was this, and I think there still is, this leadership program in New South Wales where if you're the captain of your school, you get to go and meet the governor and go to government house and you get to feel really special. And so I went to go and meet the governor of our state, uh, Dr. Marie Bashir. And I don't know about you, but meeting uh, people that are great people, I get... I get a little bit nervous, and um, I I normally have a tremor, but my tremor gets worse, and sometimes my voice does funny things, and, you know, I I, I start to get a bit dry in the mouth, and I also have this habit, I start, sometimes I say just ridiculous things, and um, anyway, we're, we're going to meet the governor of New South Wales, Professor, Her Excellency, the Professor. Dr. Marie Bashir, and we're sitting in Government House, I believe it's called, in Sydney, and you know, it's beautiful with all these tapestries and paintings. And I've got standing with me all these other delegates and captains of various schools and people from all around the state that are gathered there. And 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 one of her attendants comes and stands and says, "Well, you know, uh, good morning, uh, students, and it's a privilege to have you here." And when when her Excellency comes in. Uh, we ask that you stand all at once uh, as she enters the room, and of course, you must address her as being the Queen's representative, as Her Excellency or ma'am is appropriate also. And all these lists of rules uh, as to how you're meant to address this great lady, and um, we're, we're all taking that in, and yes, yes, and all this anticipation, and then everyone stands and, and, um, and sits back down, and she gives a speech, and, and then comes a time where you get to meet her personally one-on-one, and... And the whole time, I'm, I'm not even paying attention to what she's saying. I'm thinking, Brennan, you need to say something smart, you know, to, to make yourself really, really, really good in front of her. I'm thinking, what does she do? What does she do? What does she do? Was she, she, oh, she was a psychiatrist. That's right. I remember she was a psychiatrist. And she was head of the AMA. I think that's right. Yeah, definitely. She was head of the AMA. So maybe you should applaud her for being such an excellent head of the Australian Medical Association. I thought, yeah, that would be a really smart thing to say. And um, and she's coming around she's meeting everybody and you've got all these people standing uh, around and, you know, sort of a bit of chit-chat. And she comes to me and I'm standing there and I'm getting a little bit of a tremor on and my legs starting to get a little bit twitchy. I'm trying to keep it still and trying to keep the smile on. But you always have this weird smile when you're trying to smile and you're nervous. Like, it kind, of, <laughs> kind of goes a bit wonky, doesn't it? And um and, and I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm thinking, yes, remember, you know. AMA, 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 and she comes close, she comes up to me and she says, oh, hi, meet where are you coming from? Wollongong High School, Love for Performing Arts, oh, very good. I'm like, oh, uh, Dr. B., uh, Your Excellency, ma'am, uh, um, how was it like for you as being the president of the AMA? And she looks at me with a puzzled look and says, oh, I was never president of the AMA. <laughs> nice to meet you, and walks, walks on. And, ah, I'm standing there and just feeling embarrassed and I must have been like a plum, red in the face. But the point is we're affected when we meet great people, aren't we? We're affected. And as we look at this caller, this this caller, our Lord and Saviour Jesus, I want to try and help us to see the way in which He affects those who meet Him. Let's read again from 1.35 to to 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he saw Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. You know, we've been looking at John. We were looking at John last week and... The thing is about John is that he is painted as he was one of, if not the greatest Old Testament prophet. Jesus himself says, there was no man born of woman that is greater than John the Baptist. In, in Luke's gospel, for instance, he's really compared to Samuel, Samuel the great prophet, as we see uh, 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 an old couple who have been barren for many years. In John the Baptist himself, as we see him come out to preach, we see Elijah the prophet clothed in animal hair. Um, in in first Kings, in Second Kings 1 8, it in fact talks about Elijah, how he's clothed in hair with a leather belt. And we see these same features again in John the Baptist. And so you're meant to look at John the Baptist and say, This is a mighty man of God. This is this is a great prophet. And as Dave explained to us last week as well, with with, with John the Baptist, We see a guy who's the most famous person at that time in all of Jerusalem. And here you have him with these disciples. They've been following him around probably for for years now. You have this group of disciples, two disciples, Andrew and and probably John, who's writing this book. And, and, And John says, Behold the Lamb of God, and these guys leave. From a worldly perspective, isn't that that outrageous? From a worldly perspective, isn't that that failure? To have this preaching ministry and, and then to lose your disciples to someone else? But you see, for John, that's not failure. That's fulfillment, isn't it? That is fulfillment. This is the third day he's been preaching the same message. On the first day, he says, there's someone coming and it's not me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals on his feet. The next day, he says, that behold the Lamb of God when he sees Christ. And again on the third day, his message is the same. Behold the Lamb of God. As Dave helped us again last week, he said, so hopefully, not me, but him. And as we sort of try to explore who this Jesus is, I thought it would just be helpful to stop and reflect just just a moment on what this might be, what this might look like for us, but particularly what this might look like for me. As we try and understand how what John the Baptist preached and did is so right because of who Christ is. And I was really thinking about this. You know, my situation, I'm I'm studying at more college, and and a lot of guys at college are training to be ministers, right? And um, so the conversations that we sort of have at college are about this parish and this church and this thing that this person's doing and this place is, you know, um, in needy and this guy's going to go and plant a church there and all great things that we spend our time talking about. But I, I often sit and think about my heart and my own aspirations. And I often conjure up in my heart these these big, grand pictures of people being saved and and big churches and all these different things, but so often find myself and catch myself with these big visions, but at the heart of that vision is me. And I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, you know, for me, what would this look like this? This not me, him look like this, right looking at this caller look like. And I, I just was left thinking, you know, for me, it would be to see someone, even though, I, I mean, my, my part in this church is small, to see someone who comes along who is more gifted than me, more godly than me, and to step aside not just to step aside but to, to step aside joyfully at the opportunity to see Christ magnified because it's not me it's him so for us as a church you know tonight we're going to be gathering together and talking a little bit about our vision as a church where we'd like to go as a church dave's going to be dave's going to be sharing with us his heart and his vision for this church and and really i want to encourage you guys the heart of the people leading this church as is and and what we desire at the heart of this this church as a whole to be is, is that same heart that not me him, regardless of what the Lord would have for us, may Christ be exalted amongst us. And the reason why we can say that is because who Christ is. Well, let's bring it back again to, to this story. Let's peg it back. And I want want us to try and look at this story from the perspective of the disciples as as we begin to to unpack it. You know, they've been traveling with John the Baptist, this great man, this great prophet. They've been listening to what John's teaching them. This guy's coming. This man is coming. He's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He's this great man that's coming. And then Jesus walks by. We know from Isaiah the prophet that he was a regular man, there was there was no beauty or or anything in which him that we should desire in terms of physical appearance. A regular man walks by and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. You know, I feel like if if I was in these disciples' shoes, I'd be a little bit puzzled. And and so so we read on, these guys turn and they follow Christ and it says in 38a, Jesus turned and saw that saw them following him and said to them, now I just want to pause here, we're just about to hear Jesus' first words of this gospel, Jesus' first words. And the first words in first century literature, in first century writing, they're not just like... They're not just meaningless. They're not just important. Dave's been sharing with, with us this uh, last couple of messages how in John we have, we have one, we have narrative, the story of what happens, but also we have plot, this big plot. And often when you see people saying things, um, and often when Jesus speaks to us, it's not just, it's not just the words that he says on a physical level, but often there's also this deep and, and other meaning, deeper meaning to the words that Jesus is saying. And so here, on one level, Jesus is about to, to ask them a question, but on another level, in terms of the big things in which John wants to explain to us in this gospel, there's also another purpose behind what he wants to say. For instance, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew, his big vision is Jesus, this Jewish Messiah, who fulfills all Old Testament prophecy written about him. And what are Jesus' first words? Jesus' first words are, he quotes scripture to the devil. Man does not live by bread alone. In in Mark's gospel, where the big picture is, the way Mark wants to paint Jesus is as the one who comes, the the Messiah who comes, bringing the kingdom of God. And what are Mark's very first words that Jesus speaks to us through Mark's gospel? The very first words are... uh, are this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So first words are very important. Let's read on. Now Jesus says to the disciples, 38a, he says, what are you seeking? And on one level it's, it's a simple question, isn't it? It's what do you want? But on another level, as we come to read this account, John's gospel of Jesus, Jesus is addressing us through this gospel and saying, "What are you seeking? What do you want? Are you are you looking for a guru or a spiritual savior? Are you looking for a salvation? What are you seeking?" And in the same way, the, the disciples the disciples' response to this question is almost a little bit disappointing. They say in verse 38, the, the bit following, they say, they say, what? They say, where are you staying, Rabbi? It's almost a letdown, isn't it? Where are you staying? But Jesus answers. He says to them, he says, come and you will see. What are you seeking? Jesus asks, come. Come and you will see. Let's read on. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. I love how John just whacks in these little bits. It was the tenth hour. Uh, for us, that's about four o'clock in the afternoon, we think. Um, um, but it's, it's almost like, oh, by the way, it was the tenth hour. It's an eyewitness, isn't it? It's Someone who was there recalling this event. He says, um, come and see, for it was about the tenth hour. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus saw him, looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew He's seen greatness, hasn't he? He's calm and he's followed Jesus. And on one level, he's calm and followed Jesus to see where he's staying and stayed with him. But he's seen more than that, hasn't he? He's calm, he's stayed with Jesus, and then he's left so excited that he's come and he's the first thing he's done is he's gone and grabbed his brother and said, Come. You know, you need I found the Messiah, the king. He's the one we've been searching for. He's the one, the one that we've been waiting for. Come and see him. He's so affected and touched by what he has seen in Christ that he can't hold it in. He goes and grabs his brother and brings him to Jesus. And and this, friends, this is this is dangerous political claims that that Andrew is making. We have found the Messiah. The word in Hebrew is I feel a little bit lame saying this now after what we just shared by David. But the word in Hebrew is Mashiach, anointed one. In 1 Samuel 16, we see David, the one who God has chosen, anointed by Samuel. And the point is of anointing is this is the man chosen by God. This is God's choice to be king. So just imagine for me for, for a moment. Here we are in in ancient Palestine, first century Palestine, we have the Romans who are governing the country. We have a, a puppet king put on the throne, Herod, installed by the Romans. We have not a system like ours with understanding and democracy where opinions are heard. We have an oppressive regime leading this nation. The king of this nation, in a worldly sense, is Caesar, and under him is Herod. And yet we have this man saying, We found the king. We found the true king. My mind immediately goes to current Assyria, President Assad. an absolutely brutal regime that oppresses anyone who opposes the authority of the president. Can you imagine a man in, in running out, grabbing his brother in the middle of the public saying, we found the king, we found the president, everybody look. Would you say that in a place like that? No, you would not. That is a dangerous political claim. But these men have been so affected by the man that they have seen that they can't help it but bring others into it. We'll be uh, looking a bit more on these titles of Jesus, who Jesus is, uh, as we progress through this series. But, but that's, that's the point. That's the one point, is that is that these, these men have been affected by greatness. Well, let's move on to my second point. The call. Well, first of all, we, we see the call of the disciples. 143. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. This would have Really struck a chord, this would have seemed really unusual to a first century Jewish reader. Why? because Jewish rabbis didn 't normally call their disciples no no if you if you were if you were a disciple, if you wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, this is a big decision for you you 're going to align yourself with the teaching of one man, and so you would Examine different options and you would find yourself a rabbi and you would just start following him. But here in Jesus, it's 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 straight away striking that Jesus doesn't have these all these people rushing to him and he just says, Oh, yeah, yeah, you might as well jump on the bad wagon. No. He what does it say? He found Philip. He found Philip. He went looking for Philip and he says to Philip, Philip come and follow me. Do you realize that in this call, as we see this great caller calling his disciples, we also see our own story. In John 15, 16, Jesus will go on to say to his disciples, he'll say, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might bear good fruit and that your fruit would abide. Jesus is the great caller who calls his disciples to follow us, to follow him and also calls us. I wanted to just stop there a moment and just reflect on the significance of this by turning to Ephesians chapter 1. For those that are new to our church, we actually started by doing a series on Ephesians where we just spent some time really plumbing the depths of that book. And um, and Ephesians 1 is the first half of Ephesians, and Paul is really setting out to to explain the the great gospel, to explain the way in which the Lord has worked in the lives of all who believe in his church. And he starts off in verse verse 3, chapter 1, Ephesians 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, that we should be blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption This is a great passage because it is the story of every person who calls on the name of our Lord Jesus, isn't it? That he calls you. But he doesn't just call you. He called you before the beginning of time. In the first message, we looked at the word become flesh, didn't we? How this word that was in the very beginning, even before the galaxies were spun, was there dwelling in right relationship with God and and He called you before He laid the foundations of the earth, means that even then He knew you. Even then He knew you and saw the story of your life. He knew you and had planned to call you. But He doesn't just call us into relationship with Christ. He doesn't just call us. He adopts us. So in 112, when, when Jesus says... And for all those who believed in his name, when John says all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have these first disciples now beginning now beginning to follow Christ. We have the first example of people being adopted into the family of God. Before the beginning of time, he called you. But he didn't just call you. He planned for you to be adopted. Counting as a child of his. That is a... That is an amazing truth. But he doesn't only call us and adopt us, he also sets his seal upon us and that seal is his Holy Spirit. John Calvin writes, we ought to grasp this, however, that however deficient or weak faith may be in the elect, still, because the Spirit of God is for them, the sure guarantee and seal of their adoption the mark he is engraved can never be erased from their hearts. Friends, is there anyone here amongst us that's, that's, that's really struggling with persistent sin? You know, I, I gave a message about six weeks ago looking at wanting to begin the year afresh, begin the year sitting at the feet of Christ. But is there anyone here who just feels even though they've tried to overcome this persistent sin in their life that they, that they can't and just feels despairing. Maybe there's some here that are struggling with faith and, and you feel though sometimes you've got doubts and you don't know the answer to your doubts and you're not sure whether or not, and you feel guilty like you're, you're, like you're not a good Christian, like you're not doing a good job, like you're a, a failure in life. If that's you sitting here say, do you realize that, before the foundation of the world. He called you. He knew you. He planned for you to be adopted as his child. That is, a, that is an amazing truth. And so John Calvin here encourages us. It, it doesn't matter how weak the faith might be or might seem, that he sets his seal of spirit upon all those who call upon him in faith. He's never going to let them go. Well, let's read on in John one forty four. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Bethsaida, the translation in uh, local language, Aramaic, is literally probably best described as Fishing village, fisherman's village. Philip, Andrew, Peter, all from fisherman's village. These guys are ordinary people, absolutely ordinary people, ordinary folk. Galilee is this district. It's a, kind of a, a rural backwater and you've got kind of Judah in the south, you've got Samaria, that hated place in the middle and you've got Galilee right at the top near the, near the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberius. This, this rural backwater, and I was thinking in my mind, how can I, what can I compare it to here in Sydney? What's Sydney's Galilee? And the you know, first place that came to mind was the Shire, but then I was kind of thinking about Jesse and Arcadia, and I was kind of torn between the two, whether I'm not really sure. I think Arcadia is maybe more of a Nazareth than uh But the point is, here you have this rural backwater, this rural place in this small town called Fisherman's Village. And you have these men who are most likely, all of them are fishermen, simple fishermen. And the thing is, in, in, in this period, we know a bit about the, the system of education for people that would become rabbis or that would become disciples of rabbis and how they used to go about it. And the thing that we know is that around this time in Jerusalem, they were starting equivalent of a primary school, but it's a religious primary school where you study the Torah and you learn to be religiously gifted. But this isn't Jerusalem. This is a rural backwater. And so the main responsibility for teaching fell on the man of the house, on fathers to teach their children. And they would teach them up to about 13 in in the Torah. And after 13, they would begin an apprenticeship either with their father or with someone else in their village. And if a child was particularly gifted... That child would have the opportunity to sit underneath a scholar and pursue further studies to become scribes and teachers of the law, and Pharisees and religious leaders, or disciples of well-known rabbis. And my point, as we read this chapter, is these men—that's that, not these men. These 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 men are most likely in their late teens, early twenties, and that means that they've. They haven't made the cut. These aren't particularly gifted men of you know academic learning. These are just regular folks. Yet these are the men that Jesus called, ordinary people. Let's read on. From verse 44. Now Philip was from of the city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So you have this amazing passage, I love it. Nathanael seems on one level so cynical, doesn't he? But really Nathaniel's a guy that it seems just knows his Bible. He's he's been called by his friend Philip, who again has been affected by the greatness of this call of Jesus, and just runs and grabs him and pulls him and says, Come, you've got to you've got to meet this this one I found, the guy who they spoke about in the Old Testament. The this, this promised prophet, this great one like Moses. This 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 is the one I found him. It's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Arcadia. And 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 you can understand how, how immediately Nathaniel, is a guy who knows his Bible and he's puzzled. And he says, what good can come from, from Nazareth? He knows in his Bible, there's no writings of a great prophet from Nazareth. There's nothing about this. And, and Philip says, come and see him. Here we have in Nathaniel, a guy who I think is just brutally honest. Calls it as he sees it. And Jesus sees him coming. And says to him, look, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Here is a man who calls it as he sees it. And straight away this resonates with with Nathaniel. He says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, yeah, I don't just know you in your heart. Even before you came to see me. When, when you were still Philip, when, with, with Philip, when Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And we might think that's an odd expression. It probably means that he was sitting under a tree being taught. Um, at the time, trees were famously used by teachers to teach because it's a really hot place, right? And people would sit underneath trees and, and learn. And Jesus is saying, under that particular fig tree in Bethsaida, I saw you when Philip called you and you were sitting there. And at this, Philip says, Oh, oh, you are the Son of God, Rabbi. You are the King of Israel. These things probably mean the same thing again. Son of God from Psalm 2 is a title for the Christ. The King of Israel, the true King of Israel. But the thing about this story that's really neat that I just want to explore a bit more is that here we see not only a mighty Saviour, but a saviour who immediately knows and sees into people's hearts. Sees straight into his, into the details of people's hearts and the details not only of their hearts, but also their lives. But the thing with us is, is for us, we, we, we struggle to see into people's hearts, don't we? Um, I was reading this week uh, a story, it's called Anne's Story, um, and it's from an article written by a guy called Ken Sandy, and I just want to encourage you to, to read it if you get a chance. The name of the article is "Judging Others: The Danger of Playing God," and you can find that online. If you want the reference, come and see me. Um, judging others, and this is Anne's story. On the previous Sunday, Anne had dropped a prayer card in the offering plate, asking her pastor to stop in and pray for her, uh, pray with her when she went to the hospital for some minor surgery. When he failed to come, she called the church secretary and learned that her pastor had already been to the hospital that day to see another church member. So he has no excuse, she thought. He was in the building and knew I needed his support, but still he ignored me. He's resented me ever since I told him his sermons lacked practical application. Now he's getting back at me by ignoring my spiritual needs and he calls himself a shepherd. After brooding over his rejection for three days, Anne sat down Saturday evening and wrote a letter confronting her pastor about his pride, defensiveness, and hypocrisy. As she sealed the envelope, she could not help but think about the conviction he would feel when he opened his mail. The moment she walked into church the next morning, one of the deacons hurried over to her. Anne, I just need to apologize to you when I, when I took the prayer cards out of the offering plates last week, I accidentally left your card with some pledge cards, and i didn 't notice my mistake until last night when I was totaling the pledges oh, i 'm so sorry um, i didn 't get your request to the pastor before Anne could reply to her deacon. The pastor approached her with a big, warm smile and said, "Anne, ah, oh, I was thinking about your comment about practical application as I finished my sermon yesterday. Um, I hope you noticed the difference in today 's message. Anne was speechless. All she could think about was the letter she had just dropped in a mailbox three yards from church. It is difficult, friends, to see into someone's heart, isn't it? But not for Christ. Now here we have a mighty saviour who looks at someone and immediately sees into the depths of their heart. In in John 2.24, Jesus, it says, when he's with the crowd, says, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about a man, for he himself knew what was in a man. This is not only a powerful caller, but one who knows us intimately. Someone, some of you might be sitting here thinking that in your life, No one sees. No one sees your struggles. No one sees the difficulties that you're going through. No one sees the way that you quietly suffer, whether that be from a failed marriage or from desiring to marry but never finding a partner or from disappointment in life or from failure at work or from... Persistent sin. No one sees. No one hears. But, friends, we have a Savior who sees. He sees into the depths of your life. He sees right into your heart. He sees all of your circumstances. And He calls you just the same. Isn't that amazing? We have, a friend, we have a great friend in Jesus, a saviour who sees. Well, my third point, the calling. We've seen the, the greatness of this great saviour Jesus. We've seen how he calls us from the beginning of time. Apart from any good thing in us, he calls us. And he calls us despite the fact that he sees us. But the question is, called to what? And the first thing I want to show us is the way in which Jesus calls us to be. So why don't you read with me again? We're going to jump back in the narrative to verse 142. He brought to him, him to Jesus. This is, we're talking about uh, Philip, sorry, we're talking about Andrew bringing his, brother Simon. He brought Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus, verse 42. And Jesus looked at him and he said, so you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which in Greek is Petros, which means rock. You shall be called Peter, Andrew brings his brother to Jesus, Jesus looks at him, sees straight into him, and immediately declares the pattern of his life, where his life will go. you know from matthew's gospel we learn that we learn that the reason why Jesus calls him Peter Rock is that Jesus will build his church upon Peter. It's not that G- Peter is the foundation of the church. It's that, it's that Jesus planned to use Peter as a powerful rock, a powerful part of the foundation of his great church. But the thing is, Jesus is now declaring this right from the very beginning. John Carson writes, Here in John 1, however, the focus is much less on what this name change means for Peter than on the Jesus who knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. That he so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. Isn't that a powerful truth? Jesus looks at Peter and there's no question of doubt. It's not, it's not Peter. I think probably you're going to be, uh, Simon, I think you're probably going to be Peter, the rock on which I'm, I'm going to build my church. Probably you're going to have a big part to play in that. That's probably what's going to happen. No, it's not. It's Peter. It's Simon. You shall be Cephas. You shall be. This is what you will become. How can he say that? Because he is the mighty God-man, the saviour of the world, come in flesh, the one who by his word spun the galaxies. And so he declares something to be and it will be. And friends, that is not only the way in which our saviour speaks to Peter, to Simon, but that is also the way in which he speaks to us us. It's the way in which he speaks to us. We read from Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared in advance for us to do. This Saviour Jesus sees into your heart and he knows the plan of your life. He sees it laid out before him. And there's nothing anyone can do to prevent that. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul says, And one thing I know, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That good work? Moulding you to be like the precious Son, our Lord and Saviour. But Jesus not only calls us to be, he calls us to see. Why don't you read on with me? Read from verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him. He said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Truly, truly, you will see greater things than these. So we have Nathaniel who's been amazed by the way in which the Savior has seen into his heart, seen his circumstance. And that's enough for him to give praise to Christ and say, this is, this is the one, I know it. But Jesus says to him, is, is that the reason why you, you praise me? Oh, you're going to see greater things than these. You're going to see heaven open. The angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You might read that and you might think, what is this talking about? What is this talking about? Well, Jesus is directing our attention to a very particular part of the Old Testament. He's pointing our attention to the narrative of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28, 6 to 14. And in this story, you might be familiar with it. You might have grown up. What's happened is, is that Jacob, Israel, That that deceitful guy, that guy who's always lying and swindling and and trying to trick people to his advantage, has been broken by God and lying down he has this great vision as he sleeps. And in this vision he sees the heavens and earth, the heavens split open in the sky, and he sees a ladder, ladder descending all the way down to earth, and he sees angels coming up and down this ladder, ascending and descending on this ladder. And and the context is, what follows from this is that God reaffirms to Jacob, to Israel, his great promise that he made to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12. And and the message of the picture is that what God is trying to say to Jacob, to Israel, is remember back to Babel how people tried to build that tower to connect with me. No, I am the God who already has bridged the gap, who will bridge the gap, the stairway between heaven and earth and fulfill my promises that I made to you. I will fulfill the promise that I made to your father and made to you. That's the message that God speaks to Jacob, to Israel. And Jacob wakes up from his dream and he says, wow, how awesome is this place. God is good and he calls the place Bethel, house of God. And Jesus takes this story, he takes this parable and he changes it. He says to Nathaniel, he says, you'll see greater things than these. You will see the heavens split open and the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder, on me. On the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself. The Son of Man, the mighty God-man in Daniel 7. You will see angels and ascending and descending on me. Jesus here is saying, I am the one. I am the ladder which will bridge heaven and earth. You will see me Bridge the gap between heaven and earth. You will see me unite all things through me when I go on that cross, when I die on that cross. That is what you will see. Me hanging on a cross, fulfilling that vision that God gave many years ago to Jacob. You will see me do that. You think that I can see into your heart and see your circumstances great or greater things than these. Friends, I want to speak directly to people that might be sitting there or sitting here with us today. And we've been talking about the Lord's call on our lives and the, the time we've remembered back when we first felt the Lord calling us to follow him. And you might be sitting there and thinking, I've never experienced that. I have never put my trust in Christ. I've never felt a call to put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But you might be sitting here today and as I've been speaking, you've been sensing in your heart that, that same divine call that same call upon your life. And I, I just want to encourage you. We, we don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. But we do want to talk to you. And I would just plead with you. Do not leave without chatting to someone, without speaking to someone. Uh, after I finish this message, there will be... Uh, Life group leaders at the front, we would love to pray with anyone that needs prayer, but we'd also love to speak to you if you're someone who's yet to put your trust in Christ. But for the rest of us, I really think that the way that we apply this message is in thankfulness. That as you look back to when the Lord called you, as you think about your current circumstance in your life, as you look to the future and the Lord's calling, how he's promised what he'll make you to be, that past, present, future, it would all be to you grace and that you would be thankful. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you or the way in which you humbled yourself for us upon that cross. That you would come as man, die on a cross for our sins. The one from whom we needed to be saved is the one who saves us. Lord, what a beautiful truth. Thank you for calling us. Thank you that before the beginning of time, you knew us you knew our lives in their fullness you you know our hearts lord and yet you call us just the same lord lord thank you for your promise to change us thank you lord lord for folks that at this time are struggling to to see your goodness in their lives for folks that are overwhelmed by but disappointment in the way in which their lives seem to have turned out. Lord, I pray that you would give them a sense of your divine gaze, Lord, that they would feel your presence with them, Lord, that you see into the depths of their heart, you see their circumstances, Lord, and that you're calling them, and that you're calling them to good works, And that your calling cannot be thwarted. Thank you Lord for your grace. That you have extended to us in your son Jesus. Help us to be thankful. and pray this in Jesus name. Amen.